know sometimes we say church of tomorrow, but I think as you can see, there's a church of today, and so I'm thankful for them, and I'm thankful for all our young people. Uh, we're going to walk through um, Second Kings in just a little bit, uh, but if you're here this morning and you've never, if this is your first time here and you've never heard Pastor Ferguson, I encourage you to come back when our pastor is here. I encourage you to come back. He has a love for truth and walking through God's word. And so I am not our pastor. I'm the youth pastor. And so you know that they're at the bottom of the barrel when they come, uh, that I'm standing up before you. But no, for real, I do encourage you to come back and hear our pastor. You'll love him. But this morning, I guess I am going to preach because that's what we do on Sunday mornings. But I guess I just want to talk to us for a second and, uh, I don't know how you have a personal conversation with like hundreds of people in the room, but we're going to try it. And so as we walk through this morning, I just want to talk to this morning. I don't have like a specific like thing that we're going to like point at. I'm not going to point at you and be like, get this right and go through. But I want us just to stop and ask ourselves, is there something in our lives right now or maybe in the past couple of weeks that God's been working and God's been asking us to change? God's been moving lives and we have not changed it or have not been willing to change it yet. Like maybe it's through pastors, Ephesians series, if he walks through Ephesians, maybe it's as you walk through God's word personally. Is there something that God's been working and God's been saying, you need to start doing, you need to stop doing, you need to add to, you need to take away that we have not yet surrendered to doing. I know when I was thinking through this morning as we get started, I was thinking through the many times in my life where God has been like trying to work in my life and I have pushed back on his, and I was like, there's too many to name. If I started naming all the times I've pushed back on God, then uh, we'd be here all day just talking about me. But as we look at it, I was thinking through, I can remember at least the first time, and our teens have heard this before probably, and maybe if I've mentioned it here in the, from the pulpit, but one of the hardest things for me growing up was one of the things I fought the Holy Spirit about the most was the um, baptism. Like, I remember I got saved in junior church when I was seven years old. And when I got saved, um, since my mom was a school administrator there, the small Christian school that we, we were there pretty much, uh, they say when the doors are open, we were there when the doors weren't open. We were opening them so other people, <laughs> so that, uh, other people could come in. And uh, so no, being so... I guess you'd say ingrained in church culture, I grew up like being everything. And so there were times where I was serving in church and I had not been baptized. Like no one, no one asked. It's like, hey, would you like to do this? Yeah. Would you like to run a bus route? Yeah, I'll do that. Would you like to usher? I'm like taking up the offering, doing all these things. And I am not obedient to the Lord because I haven't even done like step number one and being baptized. And I remember like as I got to be a teenager, it was like I was involved in so many things that it was like, if I get baptized now, how embarrassing is that going to be for me to walk up to the baptismal pool with the other eight-year-olds who actually followed God when they were supposed to? And, uh, and so it was like my whole fight was, I can't do this now. Maybe I'll go to college. People that don't know me, Pastor Charlotte, would you baptize me? And let's just keep it on the down low. I got to go back to my home church, and we don't want them to know that this happened. But I had all this, all this like, every time pastor would mention anything about baptism, I'm telling you, it was like the Holy Spirit was like taking a fire and just lighting my heart. Like, it would be just like the most random moments when the pastor, he just would mention in closing, hey, if you're a candidate for baptism, and I know what he said all the time, because he still said that even if I go back home to church today, the church I grew up, the pastor still closes the service the same way. And it doesn't bother me anymore now that I've been baptized. But then it bothered me a lot. He'd be like, if you're a candidate for baptism, talk to me after the service. We'd love to get you baptized. And I remember it's like, is there any way we can close the service by just saying amen like everybody else? (laughs) 
And just like, can we just walk out of the door? Like, I have to talk about the baptism thing. And it honestly took till my brother Adrian, who's um, a year and a half younger than me, he just decided one day, he's like, you know what? I'm going to go get baptized. He's like, you can come get baptized with you if you want, but I'm getting baptized. I'm tired of this. And I was like, I'm the older brother. I should be jumping up and like, I should have been the one that said, you know what, Adrian, we need to get baptized. But that's not how it happened. And actually, when Adrian said it, it's like, then sadly the flesh was like, well, I can't let him get baptized and I not get baptized. What would that look like? And so I did follow the Lord in baptism. But as I remember the struggle and other times in my life where God was working in me, God saying, hey, Aaron, something needs to change. Aaron, you need to step forward. Aaron, you need to step back. And I fought. There were never been like, I never call them the most glorious times in my life. <laughs> I never call them like the moments I look back with fondness. And I want to just ask us today, this morning, before we jump into our passage, is God working in something in you and you're pushing back? Maybe if you're a young person in here, maybe you have right now some circumstances, some situations that your parents don't even know about. And as you battle these things and you work on these things, God's trying to tell you, hey, don't be a part of that. Step back from that. Hey, God's saying, I expect more from you. Can you step up? Maybe as adults on our jobs, God's been working in our hearts because it's like, hey, you have a coworker, and how long have you worked there? And you haven't mentioned the gospel to them? Maybe it's a husband. God is saying, hey, you've got all these priorities here, but you're missing this important thing, the seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Maybe as a mom, we're battling and we're fighting because it's like, well, I've got too many things going on for me to have the walk of, with God that I need to have. Whatever God is working in our hearts, and I can't even stand here and pretend to know exactly what it is that God's working in our hearts with. But the wonderful thing about God's word is, number one, it walks us through every situation. And number two, the Holy Spirit knows how to apply it to our lives as individuals. So I don't have to know... But see, the thing is, I know we're all dealing with something. I know we all, the Holy Spirit, hopefully, if the Holy Spirit's not dealing with anything in your life, then there's some other things you need to check on. But even if you're here and you're like, I don't even know Jesus Christ, I'm not a Christian, then I pray that this morning the Holy Spirit will begin to show you that you need to establish a relationship with Jesus Christ. Maybe you've been coming to Trinity for a long time, and you know you're not saved. You know that you don't know Jesus Christ personally. And, you know, you come in, the Holy Spirit fights with you, and you're able to, like, fight through it until you get out to the parking lot, turn the radio on, start a conversation, and drive off and kind of forget it for the week. But this is the morning where all I want to do is come alongside with our pastor today. We're just going to walk through the passage verse by verse and walk alongside of us and say, hey, whatever it is in your life that God is working on, today is the day that we let it go. And we're not going to break into any of songs. But that we stop doing it. That we start doing what God has called us to do. So 2 Kings chapter 5 is where I'm going to be. 2 Kings chapter number 5. And it's a familiar story for some of us. And maybe if you didn't grow up in church, maybe it's not as familiar to you. But it's an, 
I say it's kind of a funny story when you look at it in some ways. In 2 Kings chapter 5, we're going to talk about Naaman for a little bit this morning. Just walk through his life and see what God shows us about our own, okay? So this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to pray as we finish turning to the passage, and then I'm going to ask God for God's help. Because as, um, as they sang, and once again, thanks to Tomans, they carried the weight on his shoulders, and I know that he cares for me. And right now, as scared to death as I am, I need God to care for me right now. So I'm going to ask God for God's help, and then we'll jump into this passage. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. Lord, we thank you so much for the opportunity we have to come to your word. And Lord, I know as I stand before you, Lord, as I've already shared with these folks, Lord, that are my church family, that I really have, Lord, no standing to talk about anything. Lord, that comes to your word. But Lord, I know that this is where you have us. Lord, you've put me in this pulpit for this moment. And so, God, I'm praying that your word would work in the hearts of individuals, or that you'd hide me, and that, Lord, there'd be no, absolutely none of Aaron Burton trying to shine through for your glory. But, Lord, all you, Lord, and all your word. And so, God, I pray that you'd help our hearts to be open. Lord, these people who have come here this Sunday morning, Lord, I don't believe we've come because it's a habit. And Lord, we may have, but I believe we're honestly expecting and asking you to do something in our life. So, God, I'm asking that you do it by your power. And as Pastor Scott prayed earlier, God, nothing will happen this morning, Lord, if you're not all in it. So, God, that's over. Stop this morning asking you to join us here this morning and work in our hearts. In Jesus, we pray it. Amen. All right. So we're going to walk through 2 Kings chapter 5. I think we should be, I don't plan on taking too long. We've got, uh, what, 14 verses that we're going to walk through, but those are every preacher's famous last words. This is not going to take that long. But as we walk through, I do want us to uh, think through the passage because, honestly, outside the Word of God, I have nothing to say to you (laughs) that would be of any help to you more than, like, two minutes, maybe because you laughed at me because I'm that dumb. But other than that, I have nothing to be able to share with you other than the Word of God. So as we walk through this, I want you to engage the passage. So 2 Kings chapter 5, we'll jump in there. It says, Now Naaman, captain of hosts, and the king of Syria, was a great man with his master. And honorable, because by him the Lord had given him deliverance unto Syria. He was also a mighty man in valor, but he was a leper. So as we're introduced to Naaman, some of us know him well because uh, we've read this passage before. But as we're met to Naaman, we're met with a man who has, uh, I guess, the, as the Bible would say, he's a mighty man of valor. He's a courageous, he's a hero. As we look at it, as we picture him today, we'd probably, uh, maybe we'd compare him to a special forces operation, uh, operator officer or something like that. We have this mind and we can almost picture him, and maybe my imagination's a little more vivid than everybody else's, but as I can almost picture him as this, like, tall, rugged, like, square-chinned, ripped man who has seen through all these battles, and as he stands in front of his army, they listen to him because of his influence and his leadership. He's won battles. The Bible says God has also used him to be able to free the Syrians. So as we look at Naaman, we have this mighty man, but then as the Bible talks about, he says he's honorable, which means he's wealthy, but he's a leper. Now, as we look at this point, in Jewish culture, I believe if I'm not mistaken here, Jewish culture, you were separated as a leper. You're separated because leprosy could spread to others. But in Syrian culture, if I understand correctly, they didn't necessarily have to be separated. And so what Naaman had, he might have had, I mean, had the opportunity to hide it. It's like, Naaman, why are you always wearing those long sleeve shirts? Why are you always wearing that one glove? What's going on with that? Like, name it. What in the world is going on with why you're doing it? And there may have been a thing as this honorable man has to hide the one thing that 
we would say he has everything going for him. Naaman, the mighty man, but he is a leper. But he is a leper. And see, the thing this morning is, I guess we could say it this way, we all have butts. <laughs> we have butts, like B-U-1-T. We all have butts in our lives. We all have these moments that, hey, I, he is such a great guy, but he, but he has a terrible temper. She is such a great-looking young lady, but because of the way the culture has pushed it, she has body issues. Man, he is a great dad, but he's an addict. She is, she knows the Bible so well, but she's bitter. And all of a sudden we see a man who has struggles just like the rest of us. Who, as he has all these presents, all these things I guess we put on his resume and say all this greatness, none of it matters. Because unless something intervenes, he will die. And this is all our struggle. All of us, as we come in on Sunday morning and we look at how nice we came dressed. Wow, as we look out across the auditorium and we look at each other, we all have those struggles. We all have those, they are, but this. And this is the problem. Some of us will spend all of Sunday morning trying to cover it up, trying to make sure that nobody notices. Trying to make sure that the leprosy doesn't show through because I'm a great man of valor because I don't want anybody to know who I am. I don't want anybody to know the struggle and so I just want to make sure that it never comes out and so I'm going to spend all my time. I know what God's working in my heart is. I know what God's trying to do. I know what God's trying to change but I don't want to change it and so we hold back and we leave the auditorium unchanged. We go about the week with the same struggle and as we look at Nahum and We're introduced to a man who is just like us, minus the six-pack abs. (laughs) Like, and as we study Nahum, this is all I want to do is just walk through his life and go through his story and look at the struggle that we all have. Let's keep going. Verse number two. And the Syrians had gone out by companies and had brought away captive out of the land of Israel, a little maid. And And she waited on Naaman's wife. And she said unto her mistress, Would God, my Lord, were with the prophets that is in Samaria, for he would recover him of his leprosy. And one went in to told his Lord, saying, Thus and thus said the maid that is of the land of Israel. And as we go, we walk through, we find out that Naaman has this leprosy, but he has a slave girl, a maid girl, who's been taken captive, who in all practical, like, things, she should have probably been really bitter. Like, forget about healing Naaman. There's this slave girl who, as she's ministering in the house of Naaman, she's still holding a testimony in the middle of his house. And she says, what did God Naaman would get to the prophet Israel? Because he could recover him. He could heal him of his leprosy. And this young lady, who I imagine would have a testimony because I don't understand any other way why he listened to a slave girl who he kidnapped. It's like, I don't know that's where I go straight for advice about my health from the, the person I kidnapped who's probably a little bitter and probably a little upset from what I did to their family. So I probably wouldn't get that from her advice from her. But as she, she says it, she says, I know where he could get some help. I know where 
truth is. And as the word kind of trickles back to Naaman, another servant closer to Naaman says, hey. And I find it interesting how the Bible said the Hebrew, the girl that we got from the girl. So it's not even like he's saying one of the, one of the girls. It's almost like Naaman probably may have known who she was. You know, you know that Jewish girl. She says that there is someone in Israel. There's a prophet there who could heal you if we could get you there. And as Naaman comes, the Bible says that Naaman takes, the, uh, takes her advice and goes to Israel. So as we continue thinking through Naaman's life, not only do we all have struggles, but I'm going to ask us this morning, like Naaman, and in just a little different way, I'm going to ask us to seek the truth. Okay? So Naaman has a struggle. And there is truth that he can be healed, but it does him no good if he's not around the truth to hear it. It does him no good that there's a prophet in Israel if he does not know. And one of the things I want to ask us this morning is, as God's working in our lives, as God's moving and saying, hey, this is what I want you to do. I want you to step out here. I want you to change this. As God's doing it, I'm asking this. In our lives, how much time do we spend around the truth? Because if your life is anything like mine, and I actually work at the church, there's a lot of times where my life can be filled with lies. And I'm not talking about because people in church are lying. I'm just talking about that the things I watch on television, the things I hear in media, the things that I can grab on my phone, there's a lot of untruth in this world. And uh, I've used this illustration before, but... uh, before, I think at GCS Chapel, and one of the kids still walks up to me and says 2 plus 2 equals 5. But if we sat there today, and I preached this morning, and I said 2 plus 2 equals 5, you would say, hopefully, that I'm about as good as math as I thought I was. <laughs> that, hey, what in the world? 2 plus 2 never equals 5. It never will equal 5. But let's just say this happens, and I know this is a stretch, and I know it's a demonstration, but stay with me. But what happens today if you get in your car and because you may not always be listening to the music you should be listening to, let's just say. And you're, you turn on the radio, and your favorite artist is playing on the radio, and they're singing a song about how 2 plus 2 equals 5. And you may say, that's kind of dumb. I heard Pastor Burton say that this morning. I thought he was dumb too, and now I'm listening. But, but this is a catchy song. Two plus two equals five. Yeah, I got, I, I got this song. Like, this is a pretty little catchy song. And then the next thing, I'm sitting at work, and I'm singing the 2 plus 2 equals 5 song. And then the night when I go flip on the the news, then all of a sudden, the newscaster, in their dramatic way of making everything dramatic. This just in, 2 plus 2 equals 5. Scientists said we've been wrong the whole time. Now we have evolution and 2 plus 2 equals (laughs) 5. Lots of weird things for us to try to believe in. And as they're going for the 2 plus 2 equals 5, then you start to say, like, nah, 2 plus 2 equals 5, but... Two plus two, yeah, I can't get that out of my head. And then I go to work, sitting around the water cooler, drinking if people still do that. We don't have, maybe we need one in the office. (laughs) Uh, But we're sitting around the water cooler, and they're like, yeah, you've been hearing about that two plus two equals five thing? Yeah, I heard about that. What do you think? Hey, I think, hey, to each his own. It could be, that could be it. That may work, two plus two, five. We've been wrong. I knew those schools weren't teaching us right anyway. And this drink, and everybody's, and everybody's like, eh. can I say that it may take a while? 
But after a while, most of us, okay, maybe some of you are stronger than I, but we may start to say, I wonder if 2 plus 2 equals 5. Well, no, I can't, can't, can't. 2 plus 2, yeah. Maybe it does. Maybe it really does. Because so-and-so saying it. And after a while, I can believe almost anything if I hear it long enough. In, um, I can't remember his name, but it's Pastor Scott's book, How to Kill 10 Million People. Not that Pastor Scott had this book, but Pastor Scott let me read a book in his office um, by Andy Andrews. Yes, How to Kill 11 11 Million People. It's a book about the Holocaust. Not because that's what Pastor Scott's trying to do. He just had a book on the Holocaust. And so so as uh, he let me read this book, he says that one of the things Hitler does was if you tell people a lie long enough, they will believe it. And see, here's where Naaman is. In a bad situation... And the only thing that can help him is truth, if he will listen to it. And my thought to you, I mean, my question for you is, am I putting myself near truth? Or am I putting myself in lies? Yes, it is wonderful that we come to Sunday morning service and hear truth. That's awesome. Praise the Lord you're here. I'm glad you're here. It would be really awkward to preach if you weren't. But as we start looking at it, if I'm not putting myself near, if I'm only putting myself in truth, for what? One hour, if Pastor Francis preached, maybe two hours, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> One hour worth of preaching a week? And I'm watching the news, listening to music, doing all this on my phone for all the rest of the time? I'm just saying, I may not be able, not putting myself in the truth that I need to hear. And the sad thing is, like, we live in the day that we can have truth. Like, the internet... I understand that some people still believe it's bad and there's nothing bad on it and there are some bad things on it. But it has opened the door for us to be able to have a lot of access to truth. Like, a lot of it. Like, any of us right now can pick up any of our phones and download more Bible apps than John Wycliffe ever was able to. No, I'm just kidding. But that anyone ever in any time could have ever wanted. Like, you read the old people like John Bunyan and read these guys who could quote parts in the Old Testament that some of us couldn't even find and they didn't have a computer to search it? Why do we not surround ourselves with the truth of the word of God? Because this is why, if we sit here this morning, you're like, well, to be perfectly honest, Pastor Burden, there's really nothing in my life that God's bringing me in eviction for. There's really nothing the Holy Spirit's working on. Then let me tell you, get around the truth for just a little bit. And I'm telling you, God will start bringing out his sandpaper and start saying, hey, let me help you here. Let me straighten this out. Let me bring you here. Hey, why don't you step up to this? And when we start looking at Naaman, Naaman, if he's not around the truth, that there's someone in Israel that can help him, it doesn't matter. And for the struggle that me and you have, if I don't put myself in truth, around truth, saturate myself in truth, be washed in water by the word, as Ephesians says, then I really have no hope to get out of my struggle. But we keep going as we walk through our passage. Verse number five. And the king of Syria said, go to, go. And I will send a letter unto the king of Israel. And he departed and took him 10 talents of silver and 6,000 pieces of gold and 10 changes of raiment. Now, obviously, this is a big deal if he can get him healed. Hey, you take all that you need. You take money, you take supplies, you give him whatever it takes. The king of Syria says, hey, you just come back with no leprosy. You give him whatever it takes. We keep going, verse number six. And he brought the letter to the king of Israel, saying, Now, when this letter is come unto thee, behold, I have therewith sent 
Naaman, my servant to thee, that thou mayest recover him of his leprosy, that you may heal him of his leprosy. And it came to pass that when the king of Israel had read the letter, that he rent his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and to make alive that this man to sin unto me to recover a man of his leprosy? Wherefore, consider, I pray you, and see how he seeketh the quarrel against me. Now the king of Israel says, What in the world? Now, if you're Naaman and you're uh, a officer, warrior, whatever we want to, uh, man of valor, as the Bible calls him, and all of a sudden you're king of Israel and you find out Naaman's coming, it may make you rent your clothes. It's like, what in the world? He rents his clothes and he says, am I God that I can help this man? I can't do anything for him. And as the Naaman comes, there is no answer to this problem. There is no answer to this struggle. It's like, what, is, what am I supposed to do? Name has come. He's just coming because he knows I can't heal him. He knows we can't do anything. And they want to start a fight. They want to start a battle with this. Let's go. Verse number eight. And, so, and it was so when Elisha, the man of God, had heard the king of Israel, had rent his clothes, that he sent to the king, saying, Wherefore hast thou rent thy clothes? Let him now come to me. Come now to me. And he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel. Now, at first, from our American culture, it probably sounds like Elisha's pretty arrogant. It's like, why did you rent your clothes? Send them into me. It's all going to be okay. I just want you to know there is a prophet in Israel. You just send him my way. But knowing Elisha and probably looking at it the way it should be looked at, this is what Elisha's saying. King, why are you renting your clothes? Send him to me. We have the word of the Lord. Because that's what a prophet did back then. They brought it and said, thus saith the Lord. And so when you wanted to know what God said, you went to the prophet, you went to the man of God, and you found out what the word of God has said. And this is what, I mean, the, Elisha said to the king of Israel, hey, don't rent your clothes. We have the truth. There is a God in Israel. There is a man of God that can tell you what the word of God says. Hey, send him here. And as we go through all our struggles, this is the thing that we can know. That there is truth and there is a solution to every one of our needs. Whatever the struggle is, whether it's Aaron as an 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16 year old young man that says, I don't know if I should be baptized. I don't understand. There's word of God has solutions for all my struggles, all the things that I fight against, all the things that God tells me to do. The word of God holds it. And as Elisha tells the king, he says, hey, I'm just letting you know you sit him this way. Because there is a solution to his problem. And we can help him. And so we keep walking through this passage a little bit farther. Verse number, verse number 9. So Naaman came with his horses and with his chariot and stood at the door of the house of Elisha. And Elisha sent a, mer- a messenger unto him, saying, Go and wash in Jordan seven times, and thy flesh shall come again to thee, and thou shalt be clean. But Naaman was wroth. Now let's pause for just a second. For those who are familiar with the story, for those who may not be. Naaman comes, and he comes to Elisha's house. And Elisha doesn't have the, in Naaman's perspective, the courtesy to come to the door and meet the mighty man of valor that Naaman is. Now, imagine being Naaman, and when you walk, people, I don't know if they sit at attention, but in our vernacular, they would. They'd stand at attention. Here comes Naaman. Click up. The man, oh, man, did you hear about the battle of whatever when Naaman came and he killed all those people. He fought. He led us to victory. Naaman comes. And now he comes to the man of God. And the man of God doesn't even come to the door. It's like, hey, send a servant out. And tell Naaman to go dip in the Jordan River seven times. And the Bible says that Naaman gets the truth. 
This is the solution to your problem. There is truth. And Naaman is angry. I'm upset. You mean Elisha can't come to the door and open it for me? And as we keep walking through the passage, he says this. And, um, but Naaman was wroth, and he went away. And this is the, the next three words. I want you to look at your Bible. Next three verse, verse number 11. But Naaman was wroth and went away and said, this is the ones that, words that always get us in trouble, okay? Behold, I thought. Behold, I thought. And he keeps going. He will surely come out to me and stand and call in the name of his Lord his God and strike his hand over the place and recover the leper. Now, I don't know if he's been watching Benny Hinn or the other faith healers and like he's, been, he's seen this on television. And he's like, oh, this is how it happens. I remember he's going to come. He's going to strike this place. He's going to call on God and I'm going to be healed. I thought that was what was going to happen. And he even keeps going. It makes it worse because these are the other words that get us in trouble. And stand and call in the name of the Lord, verse number 12, are not Abana and Farpar, rivers of Damascus. Here's another word. Better than all the waters, than all the waters of Israel. May not wash in them and be clean. So he turned and went away. And he turned and went away. The things that usually get us in trouble is, I thought, and is my way not better? Hey, the way... I'm doing it right now is God's trying to work in my life and God's saying, hey, you need to grow here. You need to go ahead and make this decision. You need to go ahead and step out. Whether that be from anything from salvation to all the way to uh, what TV show you're watching. God's saying, hey, I want you to work through these things. But God, I thought I was a strong enough Christian. God, I thought my way to heaven is good enough. God, I thought... Is this not better? And here comes our problem. God's ways are always superior than our opinions. But we all have opinions, don't we? <laughs> we have strong opinions for God. It's like whenever we read the Bible today, we're walking through in Sunday school through the book of John, and we're, we're always kind of finding out where Peter's opened his mouth and inserting foot or opening your mouth and inserting other foot. And as Peter's walking through, like, is this not sometimes where we are? Peter's always, Jesus is like, I'm going to die. No, you're not. You're not going to die. Okay, Peter. Okay. <laughs> Peter, I'm going to die. Peter, you're going to deny me. Never. <laughs> nope, never, never Peter. <laughs> John, <laughs> Thomas, <laughs> Bartholomew. <laughs> it's probably him. No, Peter, you're going to deny me. Nope, 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 never, never me. Peter, and he goes through all the time. Is that not what we do? Maybe not in the biblical way that Peter is, but isn't there times where we've sat in a service and we've listened to the preacher preaching, Pastor Ferguson, whoever, and we're sitting in our pew listening, and God's like, this is a better way. This is the solution for your struggle. Nope, nope, no, it's not. I really don't want to give up that. <laughs> Is not this better? I'm actually having a good time. No, no. I really want you to change. I want you to change that. Nope, nope, nope. Never, Lord. <laughs> I know other people may struggle, but Lord, you don't know me. Other may put themselves in that situation, but Lord, have you forgotten how strong I am? <sighs> nope, nope, nope. And we have this conversation through the week. God says, hey, I want you to start a conversation. 
with your coworker about the Lord? Well, Lord, I know you don't know them like I do, but they'll never listen. They'll never hear me. They're like, I think, I don't know what religion they are, Lord, but they're not Baptist. They don't want to hear anything about that. Lord, my way's better. And all as we walk through the word of God and we start looking at these, the, the story of Naaman, this is what the problem that we have. We always believe our opinions are superior to God's truth. Hey, if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, and you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. You can have all the opinions in the world about to get to heaven, and you won't get there. Because in John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. So it doesn't matter for my opinion. And even in my everyday life, as God tries to instruct me, mold me, work in my heart to make me more like his son, my way is never superior to his. His word is always superior to my decisions. And the Bible says in the last part of that verse that Naaman goes away in rage. It's like, I think Pastor Ferguson has used this illustration before. It's like going to the doctor and the doctor tell you what's wrong and getting mad with the doctor. It's like, hey, you have leprosy? Well, go down to the river, dip seven times, and you'll be healed. What in the world kind of solution is that? I rode my horse and this whole entourage of people carried all this gold to find out that I need to go dip in that dirty water? Don't even think about it. I got rivers back and then I can, I can take care of this. I don't need your help. And we would never say that to God. But we sure do have these battles. For those of who have been saved for a little while, and for those who have been saved for years, God says, hey, change it. Move. Stop. Come. And the Holy Spirit's convicting us. It's like, don't talk about that. Don't do that. Why can't we just leave the subject alone? And then we begin to get mad. Leave me alone. Teenager, have we been here? <laughs> Our parents are saying something. It's like, leave me alone. You don't know me. I don't have this problem. This is not a big deal. This is what we do to God. But as we walk through this, this is where we're at today. Verse 13, and his servants came near and spake unto him and said, My father, if the prophet had bid thee to do some great things, wouldst thou not have done it? How much rather than when he said unto thee, wash and be clean? Then he went down and dipped himself seven times in Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God, and his flesh came again like in the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. So then, as we come, and this is... This is the person that I want to be here in verse number 13. I want to be the servant to us today because I've had to be the servant to myself a lot. So I'm going to be the servant to you guys here today and come along inside and say, if God had ever asked you for something really hard, would you have not done it? If God had told you to do something that was going to bring you all kinds of honor and glory to solve your problem, would you not be all over it? But he just says, wash and be clean. How much more should that? And I can imagine this is not an easy conversation by the servants. Because the Bible says multiple servants. 
come to him. So I can see the conversation. Somebody needs to just tell Naaman to go dip in the water. You go tell him. No, I'm not telling him. You go tell him. I'm not telling him. You see how big Naaman is? Like, he's like, benching. I'm not going over anywhere close to that man to tell him that he needs to go dip in that water. We'll all go. 25 men later, no, I'm just kidding. they all walk up to Naaman. Sir, I'm just saying. If he'd ask you to do something like really big, like Naaman big, you would have been glad to do it. But how much more could we do it if he just said, wash and be clean? Yeah, yeah, what he said. Wash and be clean. And Naaman does. He listens to his servants. And the Bible says, when he washes, dramatic, da 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 he was clean. It wasn't like, the, the great thing that he thought that Elisha was going to do, throw down, like, touch him on the head. It just, he obeyed. And he was clean. And I don't mean to make light of whatever God's working on you and your life is. But can I just say this is how it, how it ends? Whatever God's working in your heart, whatever he's been working in your heart, whatever, when you sit down and you're quiet and the Holy Spirit, you give the, the Holy Spirit enough room, enough margin to work in your life. And he's saying, I think it's time for you to step up. I think it's time for you to change. I think it's time for you to shut this off. I think it's time for you to start reading your Bible more. I think it's time that maybe you came to more than one service. I think it's time. And whatever the Holy Spirit's like working in our hearts to do, we have people that come around us and say, it's just a small thing. Wash and be clean. And this is what I want to come to all of us today. Myself included. I don't know how you walk by yourself. And like, but I'm saying, hey, if God had asked you for some great thing, would you not do it? Josh, I have one slide, and Josh is going to put it up there. And here's the, here's the whole thing in one thing. I have a struggle, but I will seek truth, because there is a solution that is superior to my opinion, and I will surrender to it. And this is what we're trying to do this morning. Is it surrender to what God wants us to do? Whatever it is, because whether the struggle that you're having, the day that I got baptized and I went underwater and came back up, not only had I obeyed Christ, but I had laid aside all the conviction, all the struggle, and I was clean. Not because baptism was, there was like soap in the water, but because I had just laid aside all the guilt, the regret, the shame, because I was obedient. And this is it. We all have struggles. We can all pretend. We can button our jackets. We can pull down our skirts. We can do whatever it is to make sure that we look like we're supposed to. But if we leave here this morning without making sure that God, nothing is between my soul and the Savior, you're just going to walk out with the same burden. And I hope, and I hope and pray that God doesn't stop poking at your heart. Because if you get to that point, you're in a bad spot. But I'm hoping that as God works in our lives, we begin to surrender. God, it doesn't feel like it was that big of a deal. But obviously, because you began working in my heart, it is. And imagine what our church, imagine what your home, imagine what our jobs and our situations begin to look like when we live like this. Imagine when 
a dad comes home and he says, you know what? Guys, for a long time, I haven't been leading like I should. And God's been giving me a hard time about it. And I've been fighting it. And today, it's today, I'm giving it up. Give up the fight. I haven't been the dad I should be. I haven't led you in the way I should. But I want to. And so today, I'm going to surrender. I'm going to wash and be clean. Hey, I know I'm a Sunday school teacher. I read my Bible myself. But I stand in front of classes and try to instruct young people in the word of God. And there comes a point where it says, you know what? God, you've been working on me. You've been working on me. And today, I just want to wash and be clean. What happens to all of us? When I'm not, and I'm not asking us right now to think of all 100,000 things the Lord wants to do in our lives. I'm just saying one. What is the one thing this morning that God says, I've been knocking at you, and I want you to change it. And like Naaman, you've gone away in rage. You've laid in bed at night thinking, God, I don't understand. It's not that big of a deal. God, I can't forgive them. God, I can't. I can't. And God's saying today, wash and be clean. So if you're here this morning, and you do not know Jesus Christ as your Savior. Maybe you've come to Trinity for a little bit. Maybe this is your first time ever being at Trinity, and you're like, who in the world is this man standing up here? <laughs> and why is he standing there? Can I just tell you today is the day that you establish your relationship with Jesus Christ. God, all through his word, says today is the day. Today is the day. Today is the day. And so, in just a minute, I'm going to walk you through what we're going to do, okay? If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior... In just a little bit, I'm going to give you an invitation to know Jesus Christ, okay? And here's how we're going to do it. We do it different ways. Sometimes we have invitations, sometimes we don't. So I want you to understand how we're going to do it. In just a little bit, we're going to bow our heads and close our eyes. And we're going to pray, and I'm going to pray to close this service, and then we're going to start an invitation. And this is what I'm going to ask. I'm going to straight up ask, so you already know it's coming. I'm going to ask you, would you like to know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior? Maybe you're like, I kind of have an idea. And maybe you're on the point where you're like, I don't even know what that even looks like. I would love to have someone show you how you could. And how it's going to look is, in just a little bit, I'm going to ask you a question. And I'm going to ask you to stand up and go to the back, okay? Go to the back. And in the back, in just a little bit, there will be a couple, a couple men, a couple ladies, if you're a lady, you don't have to worry about getting like, I'd like to be saved, but then there's some creepy guy that like say, I'll show you how to get it. None of that's going to happen. I will have a lady with a lady, a guy with a guy, and they'll walk you through the word of God and maybe answer your questions. And maybe you're saying, you know what, today's not the day, but I do have some questions I'd like to ask. What better time than right here at church on a Sunday morning to say, I'd love someone to show me. And so in just a little bit, I'm going to have some people standing in the back and they'll see you when you come down. And they'll come and greet you. And they'll, they'll smile because they're excited for you. And they'll show you. For the rest of us, in just a minute, most of us know how invitations work. Some of you have been doing invitations before I was born. But I'm going to say today, don't leave the auditorium without letting God fix whatever it is that you're fighting. Once again, I pray the Lord I don't know. I have enough right now in Aaron Burden's heart that needs to be kept right than to worry about everybody in this auditorium's. But I say, don't leave. Don't leave without being washed to be clean. Why? If he has done, asked us to do some great thing, we would. But if he'd ask us to stop 
in the middle of a Sunday morning in an auditorium and say, God, fill in the blank in your life. I'm done fighting. I thought my way was better, but it's not. It's not really working. I still have the struggle. But God, I'm willing to lay it down right now. And see, the thing of this whole message is, this isn't going to be, we're not going to walk out and all of a sudden it's like, wow, life is greener. No, but we start the process to becoming who Christ made us to be. And what better time to start it than now? So everything I just told you we're going to do, we're going to stop. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to do those things. If you're here today, you need to come, whether you need to come to an altar and pray, whether you need to just stop in your seat and pray, all we're going to have is the pianist is going to play for a few minutes. I'm going to ask the questions, and then we're going to close in prayer. But I want you to do business with God, okay? What other place to do it? Don't walk out of the auditorium, jump in the car, turn the radio on, have conversation with family, eat lunch, and walk away from everything God's doing in your heart. Stop and settle it right now, okay? Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you so much for your word. And Lord, we thank you so much that, Lord, as you said, you've given us these Old Testament stories and narratives, Lord, to show us, to give us pictures of things. God, as we look at Naaman, we understand that we do have struggles. Lord, we try to mask them. We try to make them look good. But, Lord, ultimately, Lord, we need you to wash us. Lord, we've hidden them from everybody else, but Lord, we know we can't hide them from you. So God, in this moment, in this auditorium, I pray that you would uh, defeat the devil. Lord, defeat our flesh. Humble us. People to stop and acknowledge what you're trying to do in our lives. And then God, let you do it. We need your help. In Jesus' name we pray it. Amen. So